Thank you so much, praise team, for leading us so wonderfully to the Lord. Starting this week, the elders have graciously granted me a sabbatical that will last for a month. In uh, 32 years of ministry, this is my very first sabbatical. So I'm very grateful for the uh, elders' graciousness to me. My hope and desire, God willing, is to write a book on the Ten Commandments, which I hope to uh, publish through a publishing company, and Lord willing, will be available sometime if the Lord uh, allows me to accomplish that task. So that's what I will be away doing uh, over the next uh, month from the 22nd of June to the 22nd of July. So I appreciate so very much your prayers. Uh, The most difficult part, I think, for me will not be able to be here on Sundays with uh, my Bethel family. I'll miss you over this month um, and look very much forward to returning in July. Um, I I am so grateful that uh, the very capable hands of Pastor Hank and the rest of our staff will be uh, ministering while I'm away, and I know that you are very grateful for them. Let's take a moment, shall we, and just pray together and thank the Lord for what he has for us this morning. Father, so grateful to you for the ministry of your spirit in our hearts. We thank you that the Spirit of God is present here today and we are surrounded by the people of God. The Son of God is interceding for us. Before us open is the Word of God. And within our very hearts, for those of us who know Jesus, is the Spirit of God to take the things of Christ and show them unto us that we might be changed and transformed and made more into the image of our blessed Savior. And so, Lord, today we pray that you uh, will take your truth and plant it deep within our hearts. Uh, We're so thankful that it's the living Word of God. The author is present with us. And so today we offer ourselves as living sacrifices that he may accomplish his holy purposes. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. I wonder this morning how you might answer this question. What makes Christianity different from all the other religions of the world? How would you answer that question? Years ago, there was a a conference of Christian uh, people that gathered to discuss this very question. And one said, well, the difference is the incarnation. But then others said, no, other religions have doctrines of God's who became people or became men. So that would not be the distinctive. Somebody else said it has to be the resurrection. And then someone said, no, because there are false cults that believe in the resurrection of the dead. Well, it just so happened that the great apologist, C.S. Lewis, was invited to this conference, and he came a little late. When he asked what the discussion was and learned that it was about the uniqueness of Christianity, he replied. What do you think he said? He said, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. And of course, Lewis was absolutely right. There are really only two religions in the world. 
The first one is the religion of our own effort. Now, there are many varieties of this religion, but they all have one thing in common. It is human's attempt to gain favor with God by what we do, our own efforts to please Him. The second religion is the religion of God's grace. And that is what God has done in Christ to make us acceptable to Him. Uh, Jesus one time in Matthew 20, verse 28, summarized His whole purpose for coming. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, can I ask you a question this morning? What kind of God serves his people and gives his life for them rather than the other way around? That is a God of grace. That is a God who operates on the basis of mercy and grace rather than human merit. Now this morning, we are going to gain a greater appreciation for grace by looking at one of Jesus' parables. Uh, We have been in a series on the parables of Jesus. How interesting that last week we saw a parable in which Jesus teaches us about hell And now today we come to a parable in which Jesus teaches us about grace. It is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Now, as we come to this parable, there are a few things we need to understand before we delve into it. First of all, it is very clear that the parable is an illustration of God's grace. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. And you will notice the very last verse of Matthew 19 is what the parable in Matthew 20 is illustrating. And look at what Jesus says in Matthew 19 verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, this parable is illustrating this. Uh, You will notice, if you look down at verse 16 of chapter 20, that Jesus ends the parable with the same words. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. If you look through the whole 16 verses of Matthew 21 to 16, you will find the words last and first 12 times. Now, here's what God is saying to us. Here's what Jesus is saying. The way of grace is completely opposite to our way. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, uh, My ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. You see, what grace does is it puts the last first, and it puts the first last. Grace reverses things according to God's way, and this parable is about how the last become first by free grace. Second thing by way of introduction, there are several surprises in this parable. The details are very common and very ordinary, 
But as we look at it, there are a number of surprises that shock us. And then thirdly, by way of introduction, a picture is always worth a thousand words. This is one of the most famous paintings of workers in a vineyard. This painting was done by Vincent van Gogh. It is called The Red Vineyard. And it gives us somewhat of a visual presentation of what Jesus was describing in this parable. Now here's what we want to do this morning. As I read the parable, you make a mental note about the unexpected surprises. And then we'll look at them briefly, and then we'll draw the lessons that Jesus wants us to learn about grace. Follow me now as I read. Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first. And the first, last. Now the details of this parable are very understandable for us. There's an owner of a large estate. He has a vineyard that needs to be harvested and processed. Day laborers would hang out in the marketplace, which was at the center of the town. Now, a Roman denarius was the daily wage for day laborers, and they would be paid at the end of each day, and their employment that day would be terminated until they might be hired the next day. 
The workday was from six o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night when it got too dark for anyone to work. Now, the master of this estate hired five groups. The first group he hired at 6 a.m., and they agreed to work for a denarius, so they worked for 12 hours. The second group he hired three hours later at 9 a.m., and they uh, agreed to work for whatever the master decided was right. The third and fourth groups were hired at noon and 3 p.m., so they worked for six hours and three hours for whatever the master said that he would pay them. And then there was a fifth group that was hired at 5 p.m. because no one had hired them all day long, and a reason for that is not given. They were told, just go to the vineyard and work. There was no mention of a salary at all. They thought they would probably get very little. When evening came, all five groups were paid one denarius, starting with the last group first, and the first group, oh, did they complain. What kind of an unfair pay scale was this? Now, did you catch the surprises then in this story? Let's look at them because they are the key for us to understand grace, all right? Here's the first surprise. The first surprise is that the owner was still hiring at 5 o'clock. You know any business owners who are still hiring one hour before closing time? I mean, how surprising this is. The workers that were hired at 5 o'clock would barely have time to get to the field, get their tools and begin their jobs. They could accomplish almost next to nothing. You know what that tells me? This owner was not hiring them for him, right? He was hiring them for them. Second surprise in this story is that he paid the last hired workers first. Now, how strange that is. The ones who did the least amount of work were paid first. Now, now, now you just know this is completely opposite to a normal protocol. The 12-hour workers had to wait in line behind the one-hour workers. And then the third surprise in this story is that the owner paid the first workers equal to the last ones. Now, as I look at this, this is really, really strange. Very, very strange. The people that worked less than one hour were paid the same as the first workers who worked 12 hours. Now, think about the first workers. They worked all day. They worked in the heat of the sun. There was bending and, and lifting and, and carrying. And then the last workers, they came in, and they worked in the cool of the day as the sun was going down after 5 p.m. So there was no sweat, little lifting, little bending, little carrying, and yet they received equal pay for unequal work. 
little surprising then, the last surprise in this story is it all appears so unfair. Aren't we kind of siding this morning with the 12 workers? The 12-hour workers, aren't we kind of feeling a little bit that this is really unfair? I mean, aren't we thinking to ourselves, the people that work the longest, the hardest, under the most difficult conditions, ought to get paid the most? Nod your head at me if you're saying, yeah, that's the way I'm feeling. Let me ask us to be very, very honest this morning. How many of us are really in our minds saying, I really don't like this owner? He's not very fair. Jesus has us right where he wants us, doesn't he? Jesus has us right where he wants us. You see, the broad interpretation of the parable is really very clear. The master of the house is God. The laborers are Christians, believers like you and me. The vineyard is God's kingdom. Today, it is the visible church worldwide where God's work is being done. And since this parable is an illustration of grace, what God is telling us through Jesus' words is God is absolutely different than anyone we have ever known. God is a God of grace. And Jesus wants us to understand some critical lessons about grace. I want you to reflect with me for just a moment on these lessons. Here's the first one. What Jesus is teaching us in this story is that salvation is by grace, never by human merit. You'll notice as he starts the application in verse 8 that groups 2, 3, and 4 drop out. And the whole rest of the parable is contrasting the one-hour workers with the 12-hour workers. And what Jesus is driving at, what he wants us to see is that God is a God of of grace who gives us salvation as a gift. Now drop down to verse 14. And notice how twice he uses the word give to describe the last group. He says to the 12-hour workers, you take what belongs to you, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Do you know 11 twelfths of what the one-hour group received was unearned? 11 twelfths of it. So what Jesus is telling us is that God gives salvation as a gift that is not earned. Now you will notice back in verse 6 that this one-hour group, they were standing idle in the marketplace. And the owner went out and found them. Did you notice? They did not find him. 
When I was in seminary, I had a missions professor. He had been a missionary in Haiti for a number of years. He said to us one day in class, he said, I don't know about you, but I wasn't seeking God. In fact, he said, I was running from him as fast as I could. And that's exactly what is true about every one of us. It is God who seeks us, not us who seek him. Did you notice also how the owner had compassion on these one-hour workers? Clearly, he did not hire them for his sake. He hired them for their sake. And notice in verse 7, they were invited to go into the vineyard, which represents God's kingdom. And then at the end of the day, they were given generously far more than they deserved. Look down at verse 15, and Jesus says through this owner to the uh, 12-hour workers, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? They were given far more than they deserved. What is Jesus saying? He's making it very clear. Salvation is always by grace. It is never by human merit. Three weeks ago, I preached in the prison. And I preached on the prodigal son that evening. After the service was over, there was a young man who I'd never met before, and he came to me. He said, Pastor, this past week I have been thinking upon all the wrongs that I have done. And he said, I have felt worthless. He said, I've been very, very depressed. And then he came to the chapel service three weeks ago, and I was preaching on the prodigal son, and he heard, to his amazement, God loves him, is seeking him, wants to have a relationship with him, and will forgive him if he will repent and believe. And as he sat there, stood there, sharing this story with me, I thought to myself, he can have the same salvation that I have because it is by grace and not by merit. What an incredible thing this is. Do you know Romans chapter 3 says this? No one seeks after God. No one understands. Romans 3 says, all of us have become worthless. The very thing that this prisoner felt about himself because of the wrongs that I've done, I feel worthless. God says that's true about all of us. But, but, If we will repent and believe, we can receive salvation because Jesus paid it all. What a glorious, wonderful truth that is. Now secondly in this story, Jesus wants us to understand a second lesson. And that is, service is by God's sovereign choice. Service is by God's sovereign choice. 
One of the things that Pastor Hank said to me in the very first meeting that I ever had with him is that he believes in the sovereignty of God. And that is one of those questions that I will, or one of those conversations that I will never, ever forget. Now we see that here in this parable. These workers had different responsibilities in the vineyard, and the owner did not give to them all of the same responsibilities or tasks, nor did he ask them all to work the same length of time. What this tells us is something very important. God directs people and gives them places of service as He wills. He gives us our gifts, our resources, our opportunities, and our places of service. We are to seize those. We're to develop them to the best of our ability, working hard. But they will not all be the same in prominence, size, or in ease, or in difficulty. Look down at verse 12, and and notice what was allotted to the 12-hour workers. They said, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day. The word burden there means to carry heavy objects, as you can imagine, in working in a vineyard. But later it came to mean troubles and hardships. What this is telling us is the first workers had a harder time than the other workers. You know, some ministries are harder than others. Some ministries, there are more problems, there are more burdens, and there are more difficulties. My first church had gone through a a very difficult split before I arrived. Uh, There were two groups in that church competing for control of that church, and there was tension and friction that had gone on for about 10 years. When I arrived in that church, there were problems, there was all kinds of dissension, and there was a lot of carnality. One day, one of my mentors, who I would turn to time and time again to help me through these problems, actually said this to me. He said, Not all churches are like this. And many times, I wanted to say, God, this seems so unfair. We had a traveling speaker that came through. He had two churches. He said they were wonderful. He said, I never had a problem in either one. And there were times I thought, Lord, this doesn't seem fair. But you know what I found? I found I was saved. I was working in God's vineyard. I was serving the church. And I was learning things that I couldn't learn any other way. And 17 years later, I was able to thank God for that church. Do you know that's the church where I found Ellen? Do you know that church, when we got ready to adopt children, collected $3,000 for our first adoption? 
And I realized God had His purposes, and I was blessed, and I learned a very vital lesson that I think comes right out of this parable. God determines where we serve. It is our place to do whatever He asks. Third lesson. Grumbling signals little sense of grace at all. Did you notice in verse 11, the 12-hour workers who got paid exactly the same amount as the one-hour workers, it says they grumbled at the master of the house. Now that's a very critical word in our Bibles. It means to be discontented to be displeased, or it means to be complaining. By the way, can I ask you, would that be true of you today? Wherever God has you, are you discontented, displeased, or complaining? Do you know all throughout the Bible, this is a very serious sin. God chastened His people in the Old Testament very seriously for murmuring, which is the word that is used here. In fact, the New Testament says in Philippians 4, 12, that we are to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do you know why? Two reasons why grumbling is such a serious sin. Number one, It shows we are envious of others. Look with me, if you would, at verse 15 again. And notice what the Lord says. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Grumbling is always the result of an envious spirit that reflects a selfish or a self-centered heart And the second reason why grumbling is so serious is it shows that we think God has not been gracious enough to us and we deserve more. Now look at these first workers for just a moment. The ones that worked 12 hours and said, wait a minute, we're deserving more. Look at what they had. They had jobs, didn't they? They had fair wages. They had families that they could go home to. And they had a generous boss, did they not? And if they watched this boss be generous to other workers on the first day, they clearly knew this boss is generous He'll be generous to us as well. Yet they grumbled, and the tense indicates it went on and on and on and on. Let me ask us this morning, would that characterize us? Are we those who grumble on? And on and on. Let me ask you uh, some questions here this morning. Does God owe us more than we have? What's the answer? 
Of course not. Number two. Has God given us all that we need? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. Number three. If we are believers in Christ, have we been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. Then the fourth question. In light of all of that, then is it an insult to God's grace for us to be a discontented people? And what's the answer? The answer is yes. See, discontent, grumbling, complaining, always reveals a heart that has not been captured by grace and does not understand the greatness and wonder of the grace of God. Look at this final lesson. Finally, in this parable, we learn who does God's work will get God's pay. And Jesus wants us to understand that. In fact, this is really, this parable is an answer to Peter's question in the previous chapter. Go back to chapter 19 for a moment and notice Peter's reply. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Peter's question is, We believed on you. We are now following you. We've made many sacrifices for you. What are we going to get? What What is in it for us? By the way, you can see why Peter needed this parable. And notice Jesus' answer in verse 28. Please follow with me. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Peter, God is generous. He blesses us in this life And then he has eternal life waiting for us in heaven. Nothing escapes God's notice. He sees all that is going on in our lives and all that we may do for him. And Peter and us, you may here on earth, come in last. But as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, God will make sure you come in first. Who does God's work will get God's pay. As I thought about this this week, I I could not help but 
think of those Coptic Christians in Egypt who gave their lives for their Savior. All of you have seen multiple images of this scene. This is the first one that I have seen describing them as they were indeed people of the cross. And look at them again. They're young. Most of them were probably married. Most of them had families. And they lost it all because they would not deny Christ. By the way, I'll never complain again, will you? And as far as this world is concerned, they look like their last. But eternal life makes them first. Eternal life makes them first. And this very parable is about believers like them and like us. Salvation is by grace. It is never by human merit. Service is by God's sovereign choice. I have yet to be called to give my life for my Savior as they were. Grumbling signals we have little sense or understanding or appreciation of the grace of God. And who does God's work? If not here on earth, then certainly in heaven will get God's pay. Please bow your hearts with me this morning. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to make two applications here today. Maybe you're here today and you've been trying to be the best person you can be. Maybe you've even come to church out of a desire that God will see your goodness and somehow through your own self-improvement accept you. And listen, the Bible is absolutely true. No one seeks after God. No one understands All of us have together become worthless. We are like the one-hour workers who do not deserve what God wants to give. And today, if you've not clearly understood that, you need to come to Jesus. He's done it all for you. He died so that your sins could be paid for. He rose again so that you might have eternal life. And today, He wants you to recognize your need. Your sins may be different than that prisoner who said, I feel worthless, but in the eyes of God, your sins disqualify you from him just as much as those prisoners' sins do. And he wants you to come to Jesus. Let him know that you understand this. Tell him that you believe he died for you, rose again for you. Tell him that you're repenting, turning from your own way, 
and you're asking him to come into your heart and life to be your Savior from sin, the Lord of your life, to give you forgiveness, eternal life, and make you a child of God. Will you do that today? That's the way of grace, not the way of human effort. Then let me speak to those of us who are Christians here today. Are you in your life discontent, displeased, complaining? If you were honest, would you say, I'm not much of a testimony of what it means to have the joy of the Lord or to be somebody who is in love with Jesus? If people were to be honest as to what they see in me, they would see that I have a sour disposition and I'm very ungrateful in the way that I live. They might see me as being one of those people complaining day after day after day. And if that is the case, let me just say to you, dear brother or sister, you do not understand the grace of God. You don't appreciate what he's done for you. And the only thing I can ask you to do is is get your Bible, get on your hands and knees, open up to this chapter, read this story again, and then begin to marvel on all that the Lord has blessed you with in His generosity. And if that does not change your outlook, nothing else will. Father, today... Thank you for the teaching ministry of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his ability to take things that are known and to help us see things that are unknown. I pray today for anyone in this service and in the earlier service who has never come to experience the grace of God in salvation. I pray that this may be the day that they taste and see that the Lord is good. I pray for that prisoner who came to me just three weeks ago. Father, help him to repent and help him to believe. And help him, though he feels the burden of the wrongs that he has done, to know that God loves him, seeks him, wants to have a relationship with him, and will forgive him for Jesus' sake. Father, I I pray today for some of my brothers and sisters struggling with a wrong focus, struggling with a heart that is discontent, struggling with a, a spirit that is soured or complaining. I ask today that you will help them to see, lift up their eyes, and see all that God has blessed them with in Jesus Christ. And though you have not promised that our way will be easy, Though you have not promised there will not be days of of burdens and days of struggles, yet underneath it all, we can experience the joy of the Lord because of the goodness of God. I pray that a brother or sister today struggling in that way will see how God has been good to them, how God is being good to them, and how God will be good to them. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful grace. Thank you for applying it to our hearts today in such a wonderful way. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen.